from the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast with your host, Rob Snow. Ken Tanaka travels the planet in search of trips of a lifetime. His amazing photographs from Iceland were my first introduction to his adventures. Some listeners may remember Ken from the Edison Fly Fishing Show, where we briefly spoke at his booth while I ate part of their huge sandwich from Harold's Deli. Later that night, I recorded the fermented shark eating contest at a bar that he hosted with Christian from Fish Partner. This is Ken's turn to tell his story about life as a fly angler. And if you take one thing away from this episode, it's never underestimate the water. And for parents listening with kids, there's some language in here. It's not bad enough that I have to go wash Ken's mouth out with soap. And towards the end of the podcast, you're going to have a little conversation about some people out there, Santa being one of them. So you might have to monitor what you're listening to towards the end. Wink, wink. This is Ken Tanaka and his wishforfish.com. Let's get this one thing out of the way first. Okay. I'm, I'm giving you a pass with rods on shoulders. I'm oh okay with God. you doing it because you're like, you're like the pop art guy of, of fly fishing. That's so funny. And that it you just goes with, with everything that we're going to talk about today. You started with that. It's hilarious. What's your, what's the deal? What do you care where we put it's our dangerous. rods? It's not dangerous. It's actually the most safe. No, and then it, it looks like it takes a lot of time to get it balanced. And no, not at all. I mean, it's like the easiest, safest place without putting it on the ground, which is, in my opinion, not safe. And also, it's either, it's either that for me or it's in the water. You know, I could do the balancing on the knee, which is a pain in the ass. I mean, I could just get it out of the shot altogether. Like my I podcasting, mean, like, I don't do this. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's because it's inconvenient. But like when after I catch a fish and then it's like I have my rod in my hand, it's either just throw it right there on the ground or over the shoulder. You know, all right. It, Maybe when we get fishing sometime in 2022, we'll, you know, I'll show you a couple of things or two, you know, for some yeah. shad snakehead craziness at chain bridge. Uh huh. Uh-huh. We're definitely going to do some shadness madness. Okay. Hey, I'm down with whatever, man. As yeah. long as it's fishing, I'm, I'm all cool with that. All right. So where are you today? Where are we contacting you besides your blue room? I am in Richmond, Virginia. Well, basically Glen Allen, Virginia to be specific, uh, but I could like throw a rock at Richmond. And I've been here for about a year. And do you have a celebrity doppelganger that people can picture you looking like today? Today? Anytime. Do you ever get stopped? People are like, hey, aren't you? No, luckily there's not that many uh, famous Japanese people, at least uh, that Americans know. So uh, it's kind of hard to, uh, you know, stereotype me with the typical Asian person. But <laughs> I mean, you know, I used to get it when I was a kid more than anything. But now, uh, you know, uh, you know, you just don't hear that kind of stuff. Luckily, and, nowadays, and as only, much. Only Tanaka I was familiar with growing up was Lieutenant Tanaka on Magnum. There is also a Tanaka that was mentioned in one of the Kill Bills. Never saw those. <laughs> and the Tanaka is like a Smith or a Brown, I believe, because it's like the fourth most popular name in Japan. So, you know, it's a very common name. You know, they say if you're in Israel and you yell out the word Moshe, like everyone turns around. 
Yeah. <laughs> Something I, along those lines. When I went to sleepaway camp, Jewish camp in Pennsylvania, I didn't really realize Schwartz was such a Jewish name. Then like uh-huh. half the bunk was Schwartz. Yeah, it must have been very confusing having that many people. There's not a whole lot of Snow White. Uh-huh. Around. I've never met one. So yeah, I would uh, I would agree with that. All right. So where do you get your fresh threads? You know, that just comes, I think. Well, first of all, I, I thought I would be in some kind of fashion-oriented industry when I was young. That's when you were in New York? No, but that stems from that. You know, like uh, I, this was before, this was in high school. You know, like I took fashion merchandising. That was an aspiration. But like, you know, being from Greensboro, North Carolina, your options are super limited, especially being just my location. And the odds were just against you, man. You know, so it was kind of like just a dream of mine. But then, you know, when I got into promoting in New York City and you're doing like these uh, high end events and like you're you're at the hippest you know, lounge or club or whatever it may be, you kind of have to portray that image. So you you have to be on top of the whole fashion scene. And we worked with fashion clients. So we had to, you know, be in touch with that. So I kind of just kept that going, I guess, from from New York. You know what I mean? So uh, I guess that's where it comes from. It's nice to see someone around, you know, when you go to a booth at the show and it's not straight up khakis, plaid, dirty shoes. <laughs> See, that, bunch of- dude, that's exactly where it all started from. Cause like, so when I started fly fishing, I mean, even if you watch m- my original stuff, like, dude, I had the vest, I had, I had the whole get up. Cause that's all, you know, is you go to the fly shop and you buy what's available. And that's that, you know, you have the vest and that was my idea of what was the best Thing to to use and then i was like okay this thing is clunky i didn't like it it was stuff all over the front and so then i went to the sling pack you know but then i was like okay but why is everything khaki or olive which is something that <laughs> i didn't understand and so that kind of what started the whole making a sling pack you know so it was like kind of out of necessity and it's funny because that's kind of one of my my mottos is it was built out of necessity because I didn't have those kind of options to to go outside of the box of camouflage gray or or whatever it was, you know what I mean? So, and that goes with even the clothes or whatever it may be, you know, it's uh, very linear, you know, it's, it doesn't stray out of the box and and it's refreshing to see some of these people that do. And, and, you know, which is why I support, you know, people like Andrea Larco and, you know, even De Young or, or some of these artists that are, are producing some stuff that, that's, you know, uh, abstract and, and, and different and stuff like that, you know, so. Have um, you found that any of your avant-garde clothing has scared fish? And I'm going to say no, <laughs> because we wouldn't be yeah, you know, catching crazy stuff. Yeah, you know, that's really funny that you said that because I remember clear as day, and this was my first bad experience at a fly shop and I won't blast them out. Even so I did in the video, original video, but I went into the fly shop and it was, I was wearing a bright, bright blue jacket. And he was like, you, you sure aren't going to catch anything with that jacket, you know? And he just went on and on about how you should freaking wear camo, I guess, you know, or khaki or olive or whatever he thought was the best option, you know? And I was like, if you think, and I, and I said it to him, I was like, if you think that your jacket is the reason that you are or not catching fish, you, you got nothing coming to you, you know? And, and yes, there are times, you know, uh, granted, I'm sure 
me wearing a bright red jacket on a brookie stream where you're trying to be extra quiet and, and you know stealthy probably not a great option and i probably would go against it you know but typically most of the time i mean i'm standing right next to fish you know what i mean and if it's not a dry fly eat or or streamer take or whatever it may be i'm standing very close to fish at, at a lot of times and as long as you're standing in the right spot they, they can't see you you know <laughs> it's, it's just the bottom line i've got a jacket i think the color is called mango someone's like you yeah. can't wear that I'm like, yeah, yeah, like right watch there. me wear it. Yeah. So, you know, it's a, actually kind of like an ongoing joke with me and my friends, you know, like I, I try to wear the most obnoxious thing I have on the river just for that. I'm like, you know what? You can wear your camouflage. I'll wear this, whatever makes me happy and, and still catch fish. So, I mean, you know, people don't say anything to me now about it because like you said, it's uh, if I wasn't catching fish, yeah, yeah. <laughs> then it'd be a problem. But yeah, so it seems to not. Before we get into all the fishing you also have other hobbies you skate you climb yeah family yeah yeah Yeah. that's uh the number one right now you know um i have a little six-year-old and and a three-year-old and and that's a handful man you know so um that's kind of getting hard now with the whole i mean luckily today's day and age you have facetime and that kind of stuff you know to to keep in touch with the family but um like for instance, when I was in Brazil, uh, it was two weeks of not much communication at all. And matter of fact, one week I couldn't communicate at all. And I was luckily somebody there had a sat phone that I was able to tell my wife I was alive, you know? So, um, that kind of, I want to get one of those little backpack, little GPS things that you could do like an emergency text. Like I'm alive text, which is something that I'm going to look into. Cause, uh, that was kind of, um, I don't know. It was the first time that really met something, you know, to be like off the grid and then not being able to tell somebody that I was okay. But before that, you know, that, that kind of stuff meant nothing to me, but uh, now I'm like with the whole family thing. It's like a whole new perspective, obviously. With the Yeah. Uh, you don't understand unless you have a kid. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. You know? Uh, and and uh, you know, the funny thing is, is I was watching, have you ever watched that show alone? No, it's everyone tells oh, me I need to watch it. It's on my list. You would love it. I mean, it's like the awesome show ever <laughs> plug on alone, but it's like, you know, uh, people that gets put, you know, the premise of the show. It's kind of like Les Stroud. You're just by yourself with the camera. Yeah, kind of. But you, you know, so they, they throw 10 people. The, the easiest thing is they throw 10 people on an Island, basically in this remote area. And the last one there wins, you know, and they don't know when the other one's tapped out. I mean, you know, the first couple seasons, they were super like weak and wusses. And even I even applied for, for the, uh, for the show. Cause I was like, I could totally kill these people. And then, but uh, like the later on, these people got to be super badasses and like killing, you know, uh, moose with uh, a recurve and that kind of badass. <laughs> so, wow. Dude, this, this dude beat up a damn Wolverine with like a hatchet, you know, like, I don't think I heard about yeah, yeah, dude. And he, you know, because like the, the Wolverine was stealing his, his fat from his moose that he killed with the recur, you know, it was like, dude, badasses like that. And so I was like, okay, well, you know, I don't think I'll beat that guy. It, but everybody says the point of the, this whole story is like, everybody says that they could prepare for all the physical stuff, but they can't prepare for the mental stuff, you know, and, and they it, eventually all of them break down and they're like, man, I, I can't stay out here and it's usually like man this million dollars is going to change my family's life 
you know, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, a month later, they're like, oh my God, I miss my family. I got to go home. You know, I can't, why am I doing this? You know, and you were like, for the million dollars that you just talked about like a month ago, you know, <laughs> but they were like, they all mentally break down. And it's true. Like when I was off the grid, and I, and I wasn't even alone, but I wasn't able to speak to my family, you know, and it was like, I felt a little bit of that, you know, I was like, oh, that's where that deep down is inside, you know, it's uh, that, that miscommunication or, or the non-communication with your family is, you know. And yeah. have you been stuck with everybody? It's got to be nice getting out and doing some traveling. You mean with the COVID? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, I kind of did travel fairly early, you know, like I was going to Belize when it was first open, you know, I was in Iceland when it was first open, you know, they, they were like, Iceland was on top of things. So they were letting people in, you know, so I was there as early as June and stuff. So that's great. So when did all this international traveling and exotic stuff start? So you Greensboro, you probably grew up bass fishing. That's exactly right. <laughs> you know, I was a bass fisher my whole life. And I actually frowned upon fly fishing. A couple of my friends got into it in high school and I was like, mm, you know, that's just like a pompous sport to me. It's an old man sport. And, and I had stereotypes on it like a lot of people do and still do, unfortunately, you know, and, and, and that stereotype is kind of breaking the mold, especially nowadays with social media and that kind of stuff. But, you know, I grew up bass fishing without social media, you know, so it wasn't about fishing for likes, you know, this was fishing for life, you know, and, and it was something that I did. And then when I got into Minnesota, um, there was like a whole new fishing world up there, you know, cause they had walleye and they had muskies and pikes and things that I didn't have as a bass fisherman. And it kind of just brought me back into the fishing world, like full force. And I was like, oh my God, this is incredible. And when I was in Minnesota, somebody that I grew up, one of those kids that grew up with me in high school that did fly fishing and did move to Montana kind of guy was like, Hey, visit me in Bozeman. And I was like, okay, whatever, you know? And he was like, but you can't bring that spin gear with you. And I was like, dude, why not? <laughs> He's like, dude, you're in Montana. I'm not going to be seen with you with that spin gear. <laughs> so he was like, you could borrow my roommate's stuff. And I even fought it. I was like, yeah, I don't want to do that. And he was like, just, just do it. You know, I was like, all right, fine. You know, and I remember going into Fins and Feathers in Bozeman and I didn't even realize how epic this whole thing was. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't know how cool Bozeman was in the fishing scene and, and where I was located and how big fins and feathers is in the fishing community or whatever. And he, I just remember him handing me this little thing. He's like, you know, the hatches are pretty much over. We're imitating the spruce moss right now. It was El Kercadice that he gave me, you know, and he was like, just put this on. And he was like, and, and use this. And he gave me like a Prince nymph. And I looked at it and I was like, what the hell is this? You know, <laughs> like I use lures, you know? And, and like, I was like, what the hell am I going to catch with this thing? You know? is what I was thinking in my head. And then he was like, just tie this onto the back of this. And I was like, so wait a minute, you want me to tie this lure onto the back of the hook of this lure? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Obviously it wasn't saying this to his face, but in my mind, that was like, that's completely, yeah. Like, what are you talking about? Like, you want me to tie this lure onto the back of the hook of this lure that'll never work is what I was thinking, you know? And then we go out the next day, on the Madison River, 
the most epic spot, you know, and I'm between two like mountains and wading in the Madison and, you know, I, I know fishing, you know, so he told me the fish are out of the current, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, I was aiming towards a rock in the middle, but next thing I knew like five minutes, I was into a rainbow and that was it from that moment on right there. I knew that I was going to do that for the rest of my life. Like the, the, the conventional gear was out the window, you know, and it was the whole thing. It was like a pinnacle of fishing, in my opinion, you know, like just casting is difficult, is an art in it, you know, and, and knowing the fact that he was like, use this little thing right here and put it right there. And I did exactly what he said and caught, I was like, okay, there's, there's more to this than luck. There's, there's science behind this, you know, and, and it's true with fly fishing, you know, you have to know a little bit of entomology, you have to know what to put on, when to put it on, you know, and, and, and all that stuff. But, you know, to me before that, that point, it was, I had no idea what the hell was going on. <laughs> I just knew that the, the method that I just used was badass. And that was what I was going to do for my, my life, you know, and then I went straight to the fly shop the next morning. And, you know, I was like, and this is kind of where I didn't like, you know, and this was my first bad experience at a fly shop where the dude was, I was like, so stoked on it. The whole thing. I was like, dude, I just caught this fish, blah, blah, blah. You know, I totally look like the, the tourist dude that, that shouldn't be in Montana right now, you know? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I was using this hopper and I put on this thing, you know, behind it and it worked. And, you know, and he was like, oh, damn hopper dropper, you know, sh shit. Am I allowed to cuss on this thing, by the way? Yeah, we can. It was taken out. All right. All right. So, you know, he was crapping all over the whole thing. Oh, damn, a hopper dropper, you know? And I was like, all right, you know? And, and then all of a sudden I was like, you know, well, all right, well, I need uh, a rod. I need a reel. I need boots. I need waders. And then he did like a 180 and was like, oh, let me help you with that. Yeah. And I was like, you're a bastard. You know, it's like, you can't just be stoked on, on the fishing part. But as soon as I mentioned gear, you know, he was like, Bing. but you know, and then. Is that the rod behind you? No, that is a retired rod, which is something that I always, I remember that too. You know, he was like, this is a $200 rod. It was a, a, a Orvis Clearwater. And I was like, $200. Oh my God. That's I'm gonna fish that for the rest of my life. It's a lifetime guarantee. I'm going to like hand that down to my kids. I can't wait. It's going to be like a, a family thing. That's <laughs> what I was thinking. I fished that thing for like a half season and bought like a different rod, you know, kind of thing. So I always tell people, it's like, look, just don't put too much thought in the first rod. You most likely will fish it for like a season. If that, <laughs> then it collects dust for the rest of its life, which is exactly what it did. So, that but, you know, cool. it, that's going to be your backup rod. Yeah. And even that, you know, if you're into it, first rod more like the 10th rod you know you're that's the one that you're really thinking about oh do i really need this seven you know and it's a, that's the one that you're really putting more thought into because it's you don't need that 10th rod but you're gonna buy it anyway <laughs> so yeah so i mean you know the the fishing thing was uh, a pure accident man you know like i didn't come into this like wanting to to be a fly fisherman, uh, you know, like I said, it was, a, it was a complete fluke. You know, the guy uh, kind of made me do it a little bit. <laughs> and like I said, I mean, I thank him for it. It's kind of funny because he's not even a fly fisherman, the guy that introduced me to the sport, you know, and when I got into it, I, I didn't have a mentor. I didn't have anybody to fish with. I was in Minnesota 
around an, a bunch of other, you know, musky fishermen that are gear fishermen, you know? And so I was listening to podcasts and reading magazines and reading books and dude, it was a sickness at that time, you know, like I was working five days a week and fishing five days a week, you know, like getting up at four 30 in the morning, get up for sunrise till noon and then get enough time to go shower and go to work, you know, kind of thing. But, and, and at that point it was like, I wanted to fish as many places as I could. And that's kind of how it just snowballed into destination fishing. Cause it was just like, okay, I'm going to fish every local spot around here. Okay. Now well, what's over here, you know, and I would drive. And that was the one thing that didn't really bother me. I would drive 20 hours to get to a spot. No problem. You know, and, and I've done it before many times. And so um, I would just drive to, to wherever, to the next spot, you know, and uh, then it, then it just becomes, a little bit of, you know, once you start catching bigger fish and, and chasing that bigger fish, it's hard to go back to six inch brook trout, you know what I mean? So you're, you're on the plane trying to, trying to catch uh, this other crazy fish. And, you know, my, my next one is on the list is GT or Arapaima or something that is, you know, uh, really big, you know, kind of thing. How did you start planning all these? Was it bucket list location, species, size? I mean, what availability of the trip, to be perfectly honest with you, you know, look, I'm not, unfortunately, you know, I did this the wrong way, you know, where I told my son, I was like, look, man, don't, don't be like me. It's like, just be the person that pays for the trip. Okay. <laughs> you know, like I have to work my way into how to, how to fish this trip. Cause these are f- trips of a lifetime. I can't, I don't have those kind of funds to pay that kind of money to, to take a trip like that. You know, unfortunately, so, you know, I'm luckily using my assets and, and uh, working, you know, with these companies to uh, to get out there, you know. So um, if the trip is right and, and if the company's right and it's obviously if the money's right and the whole thing, you know, I, I'll go to wherever. Um, for me, it's just I'm, I, I feel blessed and lucky that I get to do what I do, you know. Um, it was all an accident. I mean, even do, doing the YouTube thing was psh- – that was just pure luck, you know, like uh, I didn't go into it. Like I'm going to be a YouTuber or anything like that. You know, like the, basically that was also Minnesota. I was catching a muskie. This lady was walking by at that time. It was like an iPhone three, you know? And uh, she was like, you want me to, Oh my God. She had no idea. Muskie were even in the lake that she was running around. She was like, what is that? And I was like, it's a muskie. She's like, Oh my God, you want me to take pictures or something? You might help you. And I was like, no, 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 no. I got this. She was like, well, you want me to video it? And I was like, hell yeah. So I gave her my iPhone and she like videoed it. And that video is, I think, even still on my YouTube channel. But, you know, I just videoed me pulling up this muskie and then it just started into questions, you know, like, oh, my God, what were you using? Blah, blah, blah. You know, what kind of rod? What kind of setup? And um, it reminded me a lot of blogging and, and we did a lot of blogging in New York, especially with uh, trends and that kind of stuff and, and read a lot of blogs and, you know, um, eating better is easy with factors, delicious, ready to eat meals. Every fresh, never frozen meal is chef crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes, including calorie smart protein plus, which is the one I like and keto get started today and get after your goals. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Sign up and save 
We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 and use the code waypointpod50 to get 50% off. That's waypointpod50 at factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 to get 50% off. And the funny thing is now that they have a word for it, vlogging, you know, and that's exactly what it felt like. Cause like people were just asking me all these questions and I was like, Oh, you know, and then I kind of looked into it a little bit and I was like, looked at other people's videos and most fishing stuff is just like one, one shot wonders, you know, not really edited, not really anything. And so I was like, huh, you know, at the time I was like, I think I could put together at least something edited. That's a little bit better than that, you know? And, and help some of these people. And that's what the, the first ones were, you know, they were more informative about the gear, the setup I was using and all that kind of stuff to just help people through my journey of catching these muskie for the first time, you know, and, and that's what I got a kick out of was people that messaged me, you know, wasn't getting paid for that. You know what I mean? It wasn't, it wasn't for uh, likes for, for money at that time yeah, I was spending money to do everything. And so, uh, you know, I would get a message from a 14 year old kid that was like, Hey man, I just use your technique. I caught my first muskie or caught my first fish or, Hey, I just watched your video and it got me now it's, you know, it's got me into fly fishing. I've never thought about it before, but now I do it, you know, and, or they send me a picture of their first trout or whatever it may be, you know, and, and that's what kind of kept me going through this whole journey to the point of where now I'm able to, you know, sell merchandise, you know, which is kind of like never expected that, you know, it's not the journey that I was thinking that I was going to be on at all. So, um, you know, it's, it's kind of evolved into the destination fly fishing on accident. If anything, where'd the name come from? Uh, Wish for fish was actually, it's a really funny story. And I think the origin is from Dr. Seuss. And I'd have to ask, the guy's name was Danny Fonero. He went to high school with me and he had a band called Wish for Fish. And I was like, that's the dumbest. And I told him at the time, that's the dumbest band name ever. It sounds like a fishing company is what I told him. And I had a sticker, Wish for his band sticker on my tackle box. Cause I was like, it sounds like a fishing thing. So I put it on my tackle box, Wish for Fish. You know, when it came to time where I was, what happened was is like the YouTube thing was kind of happening. I had connections in New York with fashion and I, and I collaborated with this bag company, you know, to, to create my first sling pack. And like, I knew that there was something brandable here. So I just, when I did brand this whole thing, wish for fish, you know, that was the first thing that came up in my mind was that dude's band. And uh, so I used it, but I should probably thank Danny Fonero to, till this day. <laughs> What's he doing these days? Uh, I don't, I couldn't can tell you. I mean, you know, we're like Facebook friends or whatever, but yeah. uh, I don't keep in touch with him. He's still in the band thing. I think he's still managing bands of some sort, but uh, I need to ask him about that because now that I have a kid and reading a lot more Dr. Seuss, there's a lot of wish for fit. Matter of fact, wish for a fish is uh, one of the Dr. Seuss books. And it also like those books. Yeah. <laughs> My kid does not know anything about Dr. Seuss. Yeah. Well, and one fish, Two fish, blue fish, or whatever it is, also has wish for a fish mention in it. So there's two books where it's like wish for a fish is like in the book. So I'm guessing it came from Dr. Seuss. I'm gonna have to ask him about that. Fan mail. Someone out there is gonna know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
It's been a while since I've gotten hate mail, but now maybe we'll get some literature <laughs> mail correcting us. I do like the hate mail. I just received hate mail today. I don't, you know what? Haters are going to hate, you know, and I, and I don't receive a lot of it, which is surprising. I thought there'd be more of it. I thought there'd be more racial crap, to be perfectly honest with you, which uh, nowadays, I guess it gets harder and harder to, to get away with. I mean, even the, the today I received one that was like, oh, you know, you craphead, you know, was was the title. Crap, and, that sounds like a well, no, he, he said, the, yeah, well, he oh, said, okay. yeah, yeah, uh, and um, stop fishing the Henry's fork, you know, and I was like, okay, you know, and, and and I get it, there's people that are local, but it's you know, the same that same dude is the guy that bitches about public land, you know, and he's like, oh man, public land, I bet you the same dude is the, that guy, okay? your fishing license is paying for him to go fish there. Yeah, well, the, my point is, is that it's all public land. Why are you fishing private land? Keep everything public until it's his public land. And then all of a sudden he wants to keep it private, you know, and I think there's a fine line between that. And, and it's not like I want to, you know, necessarily uh, blow his spot, you know, and, and to tell you the truth, I've I've done a conscience effort on that. And, and the videos that I have produced some from out there, I don't I no longer mention Henry's Fort or, or even Idaho and some of them. And I might mention Idaho, but not the the stream name. It's like, you know, I get it. I'm not helping the issue, but I'm also, you know, uh, nobody cannot know about the Henry's work into fly fishing. Sure, I might have like boosted that that timeline up a little bit, but you could pick up any book or it's it's a super famous river. I'm not blowing up like some tiny brook trout stream, you know, and, and which I don't do uh, purposely. Yeah. I don't know. It's just to me, uh, I do understand that there is a responsibility also for me not to make things too public almost, you know, because I can recognize that waterfall in Brazil. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And that's another thing. Another reason why I like these destination things, because people can't bitch about anything about, you know, oh, you're showing this or showing that, you know, that's refreshing. Brown trout on the beach looks like it could be anywhere on the moon if there was water. Yeah. Well, the, the thing is like, work. I'll tell you exactly where it is. Good luck on fishing there without, and that's another thing, you know, the people bitch about public lands and, and private lands and you go to any other country that that's way private, man. Like you'll get shot at, you cannot fish most water, you know? So it's like, we have it super lucky and, because I make a video on some public land that pretty much everybody knows about to begin with, you know, uh, you know, I could see the hate, but you know, and I would probably hate it myself if my spot was blown up and some YouTuber had something to do with it, you know, and I don't think I'm the cause of it. I'm definitely not helping the issue though. You know, so I understand that. And, and, and I do take a little bit more responsibility than that guy thinks um, by, I did stop tagging that kind of stuff on my social media and stuff. So always going to be a hater. doesn't matter. Yeah. There's, Oh, without a doubt, man, I have hate all the time. <laughs> it's not, it's not, why didn't you follow me? And I'm like, dude, I'm not doing this for followers or likes, man. I couldn't care less if you follow me or don't, you know, I mean, uh, I, I'm at an age where, you know, I grew up without social media and a smartphone, luckily, you know, to tell you the truth, luckily, where it's not really, uh, I do it because I have to, you know, and, and luckily, 
uh, I'm doing cool enough stuff where people are wanting to follow me, you know, but like uh, these people that are paying for, you know, I see a lot of these kids nowadays paying for, for ad space. I'm like, dude, we, we didn't do this by paying for our likes or, or, or followers. It's not what it's about, man. You know, if you're trying to gain followers by paying for them, then I think you're doing it for a whole different purpose than what it's about. You know, like for me, I'm just trying to share the, what I like. And if you like it, great. If you don't, I couldn't care less, you know? So, and that's what a lot of people are like, you know, why are you doing this rock climbing thing on your thing? You know, I had somebody tell me the other day, it's like, I didn't sign up for this for, for, Oh, I know what it was. Do you remember when the, that app came out where you can put your face in? It was kind of like, what do they call that? That that app, you know, the, the face swap thing. Um, deep fakes. You know, it was kind of like that deep fake where you can put your face in somebody's music video and you're that person. Well, anyway, I did it with Shakira on my thing. And it was me singing to a Shakira song with Shakira's body. And two people were like, I didn't sign up for this, man, you know? And I'm like, sign up for what? Dude, this is my personal Instagram. What the hell are you talking about? You know, <laughs> he's like, I signed up for fishing content. Why are you posting this stuff? And I was like, dude. You just scroll past it. You got a thumb. Yeah. Was, but the funny thing is like, he was telling me what I could and could not post on my personal Instagram. Like, what are you talking about right now? You know? Anyway, so you, you can't, you can't please everyone is, is and luckily i'm not here to please everyone and I, I am out of the box and you know i'm a minority in this sport for sure you know and so you could like it or leave it that's that's my opinion on it when you're traveling do people assume that you don't speak english and you might have like a japanese person come up to you and no no i've never felt that from uh being out there. i mean first of all uh, people that know me, I'm the first one to be, you know, the one speaking anyway, you know, like I'm not the one to sit back and be quiet by any means. So, you know, before they could even get a chance to even wonder if I could speak English or not, I'm probably in their face speaking English. <laughs> so. I was wearing a, a Denmark uh, soccer jersey that I gifted to me from the embassy here when we were in Spain. And uh -huh. some lady just ran up to me shouting, in Danish? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, <laughs> she lost her phone and she's, she wanted to use mine to call home. Because uh -huh. I would have like a local phone and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> like, just a shirt, man. Just the yeah. shirt. Sorry. She was very confused. Uh -huh. I was a little more confused. Yeah. And she started shouting from 30 feet away at me, running towards me. It's like, whoa. <laughs> All right. So some travel questions. What's your travel? Do you have like one bag everything goes in? I do. Tell you the truth, it's about size, man. You know, I, I need to be big. Right now, I'm just using the. I think it's called the the Patagonia Endless Bag or something like that. Anyway, it's just a big bag. But uh, luckily, nowadays, every company makes one. I know Fish Pond makes a great big giant one, and you know, I've seen uh, G Loomis ones that are pretty big. Um, but I just need everything to fit in one thing. Uh, or at least as many, uh, as much as possible in one thing. <laughs> That's what are your me. standard has to go on every trip items? Are there certain things that you just know you're going to need and get like changes on every trip, you know, and that's, uh, that gets me sometimes. 
But for instance, I was in Brazil and like just internationally traveled to Brazil. And then I was going to Argentina, which is, you would think the same thing, you know, being in South America and being the seasons are the same, but just because I needed waiters on one trip and didn't need them on the other, I forgot a patch kit, man. And I had a hole in my waiters and that got me in the middle. <laughs> Luckily, the second part of my trip, they were, they had some waiters that I could wear, but you know, like the, sometimes I do miss every time it's inevitable. I'll have one thing that I'm missing out of the trip. You know, it's usually not a deal breaker, but it's like, for instance, there was the patch kit the other time where it'd be like some kind of weird adapter or something that I have to purchase or, you know, but it's kind of pain in the ass. I'm dealing with a camera equipment and fly fishing equipment. And, you know, with the camera equipment comes tripods and batteries and and all that comes with a hundred chargers and you know i have to have a power strip and it's like a whole nother ball game when i'm traveling because i have to think about all those uh those extra things that most people don't yeah so that's kind of a pain in the butt but uh besides that you know it just it, it can continuously changes as far as what i need those jungle ones are the easiest man because like you don't need much uh you're not using waders usually uh, and i i pack super light man i'm like a professional packer where i will wear i'll bring three pair of underwear for like three weeks inside out every other day no 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 so like i'll wash one in the shower you know and like it depends like some places have laundry some places don't but you know i prepare for that you know i like wash one in the shower with me drop hanging out to dry wear the other pair and then the next day i'm wearing the ones that i wash and just repeat that cycle you know and then i have one backup pair for for when i leave kind of thing you know so like i'll literally pack three underwear and and i'll pack one or two pants and then three shirts you know that kind of thing for like two three weeks no problem but i'll do that washing bit hang out to dry and like recycle that one the next day kind of thing so what's your choice for rain gear you got a rain jacket that you have to have you have to have gore-tex rain jacket of some sort so yeah i have this north face that that is my go-to rain jacket because man i've been in some situations where uh, i thought i was gonna die man (laughs) i mean you know you're, you're freezing at some point and and it'll get you you know you're hot as hell one minute but then all of a sudden it's raining and you're shivering you know um what was the weather like at jurassic because that's still a place that Man, that's, you know what, all those rumors that you hear, never heard back. I've had client go there and he's just like, I never really heard about it to my client. And he said, after you catch like 15 pound trout, you stop taking pictures of them. Yeah, you do. It's, it's, it's so funny because you get annoyed when that's like 20 plus inch, you know, seven pounder. (laughs) You're just like, oh, get off the line, you know, but then you're you got to sit back and like okay that's a trophy fish anywhere else but here it's like yeah get this piece of crap off my off my line you don't even want to get your hands wet because you're like oh man my hands are cold i don't want to stick my hands in the water. <laughs> so, but it, you get quickly jaded there it's a it's a must-go experience everything you hear about argentina is is true it's windy as hell at least there you know and it's got giant fish you, you the thing is you're going to break your personal best guaranteed at Jurassic Lake, guaranteed, you know, like uh, it, it, probably every day you're going to break some sort of PB. 
Yeah. So uh, the place just doesn't look real. It looks like it, it's not. It well, I mean, that's what happens when you don't have you have you know basically two places are allowed to fish that area. You know, and you can't even get to the area because it's on somebody's two private farms. You know, and and you're talking about miles of dirt road that's hard to even drive on. <laughs> to get there so nobody fishes it except for those two lodges you know and you're talking about a short window to begin with you know season wise besides that nobody's fishing you know so it's just packed full of fish it's insane you're breaking like i said i mean like i caught a 30 i I didn't even measure them all but you know finally i was like you know what how long is this one and i broke the 30 inch barrier and, and you know, the, the 20 pound barrier, you know, well, it was 19.5, but it's close enough, but it's, you know, it's an experience. I'll go back again. If I could, it, I almost don't count those to my personal best. You know what I mean? It's, it was so, it was too predictable. So yeah, I'd rather catch a 30 inch wild fish from, you know, a native trout, you know, like and my goal is, you know, there's a couple places that you could do that. You know, and you're talking about Iceland. You're talking about probably the Soho has that, and the Henry Sport probably has that. But you know, there's very few streams that you could try to target a 30 plus inch fish. You know, Colorado has streams that could do that. You know, but I, I've yet to do it. Besides at Jurassic, but the food's awesome. People are awesome. You know, I think those things are are critical. And I tell people you could go to any destination and take a picture of a fantastic fish. That's the point of the destination. But the ones that you're going to remember are not the photo of the big fish. You know, you're going to remember the experience, the whole package of the the trip, you know, and if you go there and you're just expecting big fish, you're going to get that. But you know, uh, the other parts is like, you know, it's the camaraderie between the people, it's uh, the staff, it's the food, it's the scenery, you know, like for instance, there's petroglyphs there, you know, that we went to go from 10,000 plus years ago, you know, from native Argentinian Indians, you know, so like we went to go check those out one day and, you know, people find arrowheads there from, from natives and stuff like that. So it's like cool grounds. You're seeing these uh, llama, they're actually called Wanako, but it's, it's like a small llama running around in the wild. (laughs) So it's like, you look over and there's a freaking llama running around. And next to that, there's like this weird smaller, it's called a lesser Rhea, which is like a, an emu. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like a freaking emu running around with a Your damn llama, too. you know, and it's just like you're on a planet, you know, and uh, I was watching, you know, these silver foxes running around with these llamas and emu looking things. It was just crazy, you know. Uh, the experience was unreal, you know, and uh, the people there and, and the the guides seem to love their job. I think that's really important. You really feel that uh, as part of part of the experience too, you know. Um, well taken care of down there. Yeah, when you have well, when you have people that are psyched for you, you know what I mean, and that are like willing to jump in the water and and you know untangle your thing or, or grab a fish or you know and, and just help you out in every way to catch this big fish or you know take a photo with excitement. I mean, the whole thing, you could feel the excitement, you know, when, when you catch a big fish and they're excited for you, you know, that that's what it's all about. You know, I've been on trips where that camaraderie and that excitement wasn't quite there to be perfect. And I'm not going to name those out, but you can feel that, you know, it makes a difference in the trip, in my opinion. 
Tell us about how you organized a fermented shark eating contest. <laughs> I can still smell it. It burns. Oh, man. yeah, dude. That's, I got the food. I, I tell you what, man, if I could pull that off every year, I would love to because it is it, it's something that you can't experience outside of going to Iceland, you know? I mean, and it is, as you know, it's special. <laughs> From the taste to the smell. It's special, man. And, and it's, you know, I love seeing people experience it for the first time. I've luckily been there for that when, when a bunch of people experience it for the first time. And it's the whole thing that you experience. You kind of relive your first experience with it. And, you know, you're like, oh, my God, what is that smell? And you're like, that's the shark. And you're like, what? <laughs> and then as soon as they taste it, they're like, oh, my God, that's freaking awful. You know, and, but it's it's just like a car wreck or, you know, oh my God, this milk is, I think this milk is spoiled, smell this or taste this. You know, you have to share this awful experience with other people. You know what I mean? <laughs> what are some other strange things that are more like Andrew Zimmern that you would eat on a, on a trip? Oh, dude, I'll eat any bugs and grubs, anything. I mean, so the closest chance I had to eating something very unique was in Bolivia with monkey. And unfortunately the natives I didn't go onto the uh, the river trip that that you could have went on where they do catch monkeys and, and eat it, but you know I would have done that. And then a lot of people have a little problem with that, you know, oh primates and and I get that, and it does look freaky as hell when they're cooking it because it's like you could see fingers, you know, and um, it does it doesn't look good. But you gotta you gotta experience it for the experience, man. You know, it's it's a different culture. They all love it, and that's what they eat. They're in the jungle. They don't have a grocery store. They have the jungle, and that was a, a really cool, unique experience too. Is like seeing people native people still live in that primitive native way. It was just, that's some national geographic stuff, you know, and it was incredible to see that and experience that. Um, so I would have loved to eat the monkey, but I have eaten like lamb's eyes in, in Iceland and, and then the fermented shark, but I've also eaten some raw stuff in Belize that people are like, what the hell are you eating? <laughs> like I've eaten the sea urchin raw and I've eaten the conch, which is not that big a deal, but uh, also uh, we had um, box fish. And I was eating that raw or anything that I would catch there that we could eat. I would probably eat that. So uh, there's, I mean, in Japan, do we eat some crazy stuff? So there's nothing that I don't think that would bother me. Yeah. I grew up not eating anything really exotic. I grew up eating like exotic hippie food. Like when whole foods opened up, my dad was like, <laughs> you, you were the first food. one to eat quinoa. <laughs> quinoa was like what I would have for, you know, Passover. Yeah. That, that was, was kosher. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you I, go. I grew up eating that stuff. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, I didn't eat or grow up eating crazy stuff, but the thing is, you know, you're, you are a product of your surroundings and my parents didn't limit us from food because they ate everything. And so I eat everything and, you know, and I could see it with my kids. My kid is six and three and they'll eat octopus or squid or Anything that I'll put in front of them, they're going to eat it because, you know, we never really limited them when they were small with, with food. We would, they would eat whatever we were eating. And so when we're eating squids and octopus, obviously they're eating that, you know, so uh, they're very adventurous eaters, even at that age. Do you ever do family vacations and then you get to go off? that's in the cards, man. I mean, you know, my son is six, he's going to be seven. Uh, I did take him on an adventure 
And he was a trooper about it. You know, like we left the house. He did one of my crazy adventures with me, you know, where I left the house at two in the morning, drove to Boone from Richmond, Virginia, you know, which was like a five plus hour journey. We climbed from nine o'clock in the morning till like four o'clock and then five fished from like four till six, <laughs> you know, so, and then drove home and he was cool with the whole thing. So I think, I'm thinking next year I'm going to take him on a small adventure, you know, and, and he's gone with me camping before, never on a fly fishing trip. The wife? the wife, I, I ruined that from day one. So we were fishing together in Minnesota, you know, and she was all about it, man. She caught a muskie and a walleye and a huge smallie and like large mouth. She was catching everything. And then all of a sudden she was like, okay, I'm over it. And I was like, what? We're just getting started. She was like, no, nah, I'm, I'm over it. I caught everything now. <laughs> she's, and it was my fault because I would take her and try to fish 12 hours, you know, and she'd be passed out on the lawn chair eventually kind of thing. You know, it was my fault for not pacing it a little bit. You know, I try to take her on these big adventures where we would go fishing for the whole weekend. And, you know, she wasn't about that, but she did like the camping part, but, you know, quickly got sick of the fishing part. <laughs> We have, we have rock climbing together. That's the thing that we all have together now, which is kind of cool because now I could go on these rock climbing adventures and they, they have epic fishing. Every place where there's epic fishing, there's epic rock climbing. So, you know, I got to do a little bit of it um, with Will Phelps in Montana, you know, which is cool because there's a lot of crossover climbers and uh, fishermen. You know, so uh, we started to do this thing called cast and climb where we go and climb and, and fish for a little bit kind of thing. So are you climbing into the places? To well, fish? that is the eventual ultimate goal. Uh, Will and I talked about that. Like, I wonder if we could find a place where we could rappel into that, you know, yeah. it's not yeah, accessible. Sense. Yeah. So we, we've talked about that. Um, but, Along you know, it has to be has to be some kind of unique situation where you really can, you know, I don't want to cheat it where you could get there, you know, it'd have to be authentic, you know, like some badass place where we really is inaccessible besides if you did some badass rock climbing or rappelling or something, you know? Um, but yeah, we've talked about, we've talked about that. I mean, he's a badass to say truth. I mean, like I went climbing with him and, and, you know, he's way above my pay grade. So, uh, I have to, <laughs> have you ever to... use your dry fly desiccant instead of chalk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. I bet you it'll work. It's the same concept. So yeah. Yeah. So with all these pictures on social media, do you have somebody with you or are you just lucky that someone there can take a good picture? I have two different methods. It just depends. I mean, luckily nowadays with the iPhone, it's super easy to capture a great picture, you know, uh, something in your pocket. So um, most of my stuff's iPhone, unfortunately, you know, it's hard to carry. And, and that was a, I started off bringing the DSLR everywhere. And, you know, that thing is a pain in the ass, man, trying to change lenses and keep things clean and all that kind of stuff in the middle of a, a shoot is, is nightmare. And on top of that heavy, I get lucky when there's a photographer friend that's with me <laughs> totally. But, um, most of the time it's, it's, uh, I use this new Sony camera that is an incredible video camera, which I just use in selfie mode and then just kind of do a, a 4k video with it or a 1080, you know, at a 60 frame per second uh, video. And then I could just still uh, keep a still frame of it. Yeah. Screenshots are easier. 
Yeah, it's usually what I do. And and it's the safest way, you know, and that was another thing. I I even featured that in in the video, you know, people dicking around with the the fish is is the worst thing you could do, you know, and uh, I just keep the fish in the basket the whole time. I set up the camera, boom, boom, boom. And then it's just like a five second lift. And as long as you're seeing everything, it's super easy to capture that instead of trying to take a photo, which you're like dealing with this timer, you know, and you're not getting the timer right. And you're like trying to take it over. That, that's where you're just dicking around with the fish, you know? So are um, any exotic fish you've caught easier to photograph than others? You got some jerks out there that just don't want to be photographed. Big floppers. Uh, yes, actually. So the, the most we, the weirdest thing was um, Labrador brook trout. And these were so big. They are so big. And that's the thing is like, they they have such like a cankle tail. Like usually like with the tail, you could kind of pin your fingers against the tail, the part that that, the tails out, you know, but the brook trout had such a slippery slime on them and had this like cankle tail where it was just like body to tail, like straight across almost. And so it was like, had no purchase on the tail and it was slipping out of your hands. And there were times where I even had to use a glove, like a thing. And I didn't like that at all, you know? So I was like, look, uh, let's Those just went quickly. Those were like big. And then people are like, yeah, you can't use them. Yeah. The tanning glove. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's horrible for the fish. So I was like, at first he was like, we got to use the tanning glove, you know? And I was like, mm, I don't like using this. And so like the first couple of photos we used with the tanning glove, but then after that, it was a nightmare. And we had a method where we would do it safely with the net underneath, you know, and, or over the water or whatever it may be. But, you know, uh, that was a pain in the ass to, to, to photograph for sure. <laughs> yeah. But no, every other fish I've, I've had a pretty good, easy time with, except for that brook trout. I remember the brook trout gave me a hard time all week. What are some of your 2022 travels? Right now, I have Alaska for a couple Alaska trips in July. I have Iceland again in June, most likely. Uh, Labrador, hopefully in August. And that's just the ones that I've talked about for sure. You know, I, I mean, in January, uh, I'm going to Mosquito Lagoon in Florida. So I'm sure I'll do Key West again for the tarpon run. I'm sure I'll be back in Belize again for a permit, you know. Any places um, that you went to and you're like, you know, I'm, I'm good. Don't need to come back here again. <sighs> you experienced it all. Maybe. It oh, yeah, there. for sure. For sure. I mean, some of the trips that I, some of the even the exotic trips, you know, like it might just not be the style that I like uh, for me. It's not necessarily about uh, look to, to go on the trip and take uh, a photo of a payara that, that takes a special trip or take a, a picture of whatever the species that you're chasing, you know, but sometimes the methods that you use to catch that fish aren't particularly your favorite, you know, like dredging the bottom or, you know, stripping slow, blind casting, you know, I would rather target something like a saltwater fish where I'm a hundred percent in control and, uh, and, and target casting and watching every little movement of the fish Like that to me is what, what it's all about. You know, uh, I think that's the pinnacle of fishing, you know, like it, and you, you kind of learn that when you go to Key West or something like that, when you're targeting these big tarpon that are hundred pounds, you know, on a fly rod. And, and that's when it gets your, you know, buck fever going, or, or when you see a permit uh, tailing away 
and you have one shot at it, you know, and you're watching this whole thing go down from if the fish refuses it or the fish sees it and, and wants to eat it. And then you're just trying to trick this fish into eating it. You know, it's not about, hey, let me just throw this over here and, you know, strip this in and pray something eats this thing. You know, it is like, I'm going to make this fish eat this thing, you know, and, and that to me is a way better trip than, than blind casting, you know, so uh, sure. There's plenty of trips that I'm like, okay, that was cool. Uh, I love the experience. I would do it in a heartbeat again, but, uh, I'd rather go back to Belize and chase permit or, or tarpon, you know, or redfish, you know, that's another one that I really love. You know, it's, uh, I think the more that you start fishing, you know, the more that you'll start to graduate towards salt. Yeah. I think that's like a gradual progression towards, um, learning fly fishing you know after years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers if we've learned anything it's that there's always a catch so when i heard that mint mobile wireless plans are 15 dollars a month when you purchase a three-month plan i thought what's the catch but after talking to them it all made sense there isn't one mint mobile secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online they cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com waypoint. That's mintmobile.com waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com waypoint. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. How do you protect yourself when you're out in the salty sun? I'm horrible at it, man. <laughs> I have like a whole mess of skincare stuff. I mean, everything from like doctor hands and like, you know, uh, lotions and SPF sunscreen lip stuff and like things for Neutrogena crack skin. I mean, but it's inevitable, man. Like, you know, I can't do enough skincare. Like I, I usually get a cracked lip from just being sunburnt lips, you know, uh, or, you know, wind burned. I mean, I'll get a rash sometimes here from like where my, my buff will be, or even sometimes where my jacket will be, you know, it's like, it's really hard, man. And you're going out for weeks at a time in Brazil, I was getting rashes from just being so humid all the time. That sun uh, will beat you up, but you know, like uh, I try to stay protected, but I I'm horrible at it. Like I, I can't do the buff all day, you know, and I can't do long sleeves all, all day. I think it's uncomfortable, you know, so <laughs> I end up doing the sunscreen short sleeve a lot, you know, and, and which is stupid, but who's got the worst bugs. Oof, that's Brazil so far, man so far oh well i don't know man iceland this one time there were these black flies that was out of control uh there's there's a video footage of both of those things where uh we opened the door for just a little bit just to get out of the car and just getting out of the car and closing the door there were hundreds of these black flies inside of the car and it was insane you know they were just all around and we had the I had to wear a net. That was the first time I had to wear a net because they were just everywhere. And it just was, the sound was crazy. All you could hear is, and it, it was unfishable. It was unfishable. 
Brazil, it's the same concept, except it's like bigger bugs. Like we had these giant bumblebees that were flying around your face that aren't there to sting you, but they're there to just like lick the salt off you basically. And you just have to let them do their thing, but they're everywhere. And then you're dealing with honeybees and these little microscopic, like it looks like micro bumblebees. That's hard to explain, but we don't have them in America, but they're like black Anyway, there's just bees everywhere, man. And th- th- there was so many that they have a racquetball racket, not a racquetball. The electric? No. Ice water? What is that? Racket? Badminton badminton racket as like just a thing that they swat bees away. With. We had <laughs> like that at the pool this summer for the cicadas. Really? Okay. Oh, well, that's. Just, someone yeah. was on control just batting around. Yeah. That's, you didn't that, get that, them this year, did you? No, I wasn't in broad X territory, but uh, actually North Carolina got a little bit of it, but uh, I didn't go fishing for them. It's hard to, it's, I can't believe that was only a couple months ago. <laughs> crazy that was. Did you, what did you do during the broad X? Was it carp or something or what were you? Catching? I caught like two bluegill and a bass maybe. Oh, okay. I, I would go out twice a day to this local lake with uh-huh. bass and snakeheads and Ooh. I couldn't find a carp anywhere. Huh. I went yeah, that was that, that really on. wanted. I wanted to do that. Like that really sounded interesting. Like doing the whole carp thing. Yeah, I heard them. It sounded like bowling balls falling from the sky. There's yeah. some five foot grass carp out here, and you just hear. I saw uh, somebody on that I follow on social that uh, was doing that and just mopping them up, man. That looked awesome. But uh, yeah, I just don't have any opportunity for carp anywhere. <laughs> I, I don't find it here. Yeah. I'm sure that there is some, but I just don't know where they are. So. CNO Canal's got them, but that place is frustrating. Uh huh. You said you have snakeheads. See, that's something that I'm I'm interested in doing. Yeah. Uh, there's this guy that hit me up on social the other day. Um, that's from Virginia. He was he was like, "Oh, dude, you should come with me to hunt these snakeheads." And I saw pictures of his his little ventures, and whoo! I mean, they were like, "You're gonna want to eat those things too." You say eat. That's the best eating fish apparently you're ever going to come across. Uh, well, I mean, we're fishing at Chain Bridge. Again, I have to pull this out. That didn't sound right. Yeah. <laughs> so the guys up at Chain what? Bridge do these and they snag them when they come up to breathe. Holy cow. So they put these on with like twine on a catfish what? rod. What? Snake kids come up to breathe and they lower them down and they get about Just $100. Yank them up. Huh. $100 a fish on the black market. So really? we're out there eight hours. You would get there. At $100 a fish. Yeah. I mean, they're pulling out like 40 inch snake heads. Whoa. And they sell them to the, yeah. Or they just dump them in other bodies of water. We've got lakes just full of them. Huh. What you got growing in the background there, buddy? My God. So I finally got the big ones are peppers, eggplants, and tomatoes. You are putting a whole lot of effort for. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Then my neighbor, Rob wanted celery for cooking something. I was like, dude, I don't have any, but I'll go sprout some. Uh-huh. So now I'm growing in celery. Um, I finally got mountain lupine to sprout. Uh-huh. So I got like eight of those. And yeah, then- so I'm into, uh, I'm into like bonsai trees right now. At least I'm trying to. So uh, that's what I was kind of curious. Yeah, my, wife was, <laughs> my wife caught me outside bonsai my tree today. And she was like, what are you doing? Are you talking to it? <laughs> uh, I'm planning on putting a giant like rebar pumpkin trellis on the side of the house 
over here. You know, we get great sun now that we had a tree cut down. See, I want to grow a pumpkin trellis. Uh-huh. And then like eat dinner underneath like this canopy of pumpkin leaves. Like have a little dinner table. Maybe uh-huh. put Christmas lights on it. Yeah. I just I'll grow whatever, man. I love growing squash because they just get yeah. huge. So. I dig it, man. Um, I'm uh I'm a I'm big on the whole garden thing. If I could, you know, I wish I had enough in me to do the homesteading thing. I know I don't, but uh I I wish I did. <laughs> I used to watch that uh homesteading show for a little bit uh the great alaska last frontier or something like that or something anyway yeah i'm very envious of that whole thing you know just to be able to survive on your own but uh that's tough work man it's tough work we had a a yukon gold potato that was sprouting so i just put in the flower pot in the laundry room so we're gonna see them grow a potato in the laundry room Oh, that's, uh-huh. My parents hated me growing up. I mean, I had avocado trees like growing in bathrooms, and is a unique place for it. Yeah, there's stuff growing. All I think that that was because I considered black flagged. I don't know if I would eat that avocado. They don't it's flower. Avocado. That's the problem. <laughs> yeah. Thank goodness for that, because uh, yeah, I don't think I'm going to be eating that one. I need to grow a kefir lime tree. Mine uh-huh. died because the leaves on that are just so good in cooking. The lime tree, the lime tree, yeah, kefir lime, K A F F I R. But you cook with the leaf, yeah. The limes are inedible, so you use them in like uh, Tom oh. guy soup and some Indian stuff, Sri Lankan cooking. Oh, okay, you can oh. find them at H Mart and Lote. H Mart, man, that's a that's a store that I'm have you gone to Lote yet for this stuff? What the hell, Lote, what is that? Is that that's another H Mart? Yeah, it's, but it's Korean. Oh, the, this is for making loofahs there. Loofahs, really? Rub yarn, huh? The greatest fly tie material ever. Cool. Yeah. I'm making like these pink stone flies out of it. Uh huh. Nice. Yeah, I need to go over to Lote. I need a mushroom powder. We're out of umami yeah. powder. <laughs> I miss me some uh, H Mart, man. That's an awesome place. You got like. Kroger and Publix down there? We do. I mean, I have a, an Asian, I have two Asian stores, but they're not H Mart. You know, uh, that place is like the Walmart of Asian places. <laughs> yeah. You get everything there. The yeah. We do have this kick ass, like a Tokyo market, which is like more Japanese and Korean based. And it's like pretty much everything in there is one of those two. And it's smaller, but it's definitely got uh, enough where I, we get our fix from it. So. We got to grow figs. I say get our figs. Get our figs. Oh, yes. Yeah. I was say, why would they have figs in a Japanese? No, no, no. Get, get our figs. From, eh, no, figs are actually big in, in Asian. Uh, that is one of the easiest things to grow. Our Japan, fig tree yeah. triples in size every year. It's enormous. Yeah, I need to do get on that. Our, our neighbor has a fig tree and like was handing us buckets full of them this summer. And I was like, okay, I could get down with that. <laughs> Cause I tell you what, she handed us all, like a bucket full and, you know, then we thought about how much that bucket costs. And I was like, Hey man, you know, we could just get a tree just like they do. Yeah. I need to get on that. All right. I yeah, got man. questions for you since we're on a food tangent. Okay. Um, what's up? Who's got the best sandwich in all of your travels? Sandwich. Yes. Sandwich or burger. Can you consider that burger? 
Well, burgers definitely hands down. It's it's the big guy's bite, uh, and that's in St. Paul. Um, but the the nook, the nook in St. Paul, Minneapolis area. It's St. Paul actually is where the city is located. But St. Paul, Minneapolis. I mean St. Paul, Minnesota. St. Paul, Minnesota. Hot dish up there. Excuse me. Did you eat hot dish? Is that um, with the tater tots? Yeah. Yeah. That's like hot dish is like a very popular thing up there. Although, you know, I'm not, I wasn't in that uh, <laughs> crowd to be eating that. So I didn't really have any hot dish, but I heard a lot about the hot dish. If uh, you could fish with any fly fishing pioneer alive or dead, who would you choose? Oof. Man, I'd have to say Bill Dance. That's that's what I'm going with. Just because he's who I grew up with watching uh, fishing on TV, you know? And, like, to me, uh, that's what fishing was, you know? <laughs> and he's he was just hilarious. And, and I guess my childhood hero when it comes to fishing. Bill Dance. Go with Bill Dance. Is there a good sandwich in the Richmond area? Oh, sandwich. I haven't really explored eating out, to tell you the truth, in Richmond area. Although the culinary scene is way better than where I had it in Greensboro, North Carolina. But uh, sandwich, I can't say. Uh, the only thing that I've been really venturing out in is, is dessert spots. Because, <laughs> you know, now that I have a family, I'm most likely eating at home. You know, we're not eating out that much. And so, like, I could kind of convince, like, going out for some dessert. So, I've been doing that, but haven't really ventured out eating. And when we do, we just go to this Chinese spot with some dim sum. Oh, my God. They, got some, yeah, they got some kick-ass dim sum, man. Have you gone to Peter Chang's restaurants yet? No, no, no. no. This is like a this is like a mom and pops kind of. Uh, I can't even remember what it's called right now. But anyway, it's it's um, it's the bomb, man. It's real Chinese food, you know, like no joke Chinese food. Do you have any irrational fears or phobias that interfere with your travel? You like, are you scared of capybaras or uh, Icelandic yogurt? Am <laughs> I scared of anything? No, you know, the, the only thing that I, you know, the only fear that I have is, is dying in one of those dinky ass planes, man. You know, like you hear a lot of that. Uh, me dying in a float plane is like the most, most likely way I'm going to go down. Uh, you know, besides that, it's pretty safe, you know, but uh, look, you can never underestimate the water. That's the thing. Uh, be respectful of it. Cause I know. I've been on trips where people have passed away, you know? So like I was in Iceland when a couple passed away and I, I was taking pictures of them with the day before they passed away. Both passed away? They both passed away. Yeah. Yeah. It was tragic. Yeah. So, um, and that was in Iceland, you know, and we were fishing that same beat the day before. Uh, I know exactly what happened to them, you know, like they were, uh, at the edge of the confluence and fishing the river mouth and just started sliding down, you know, like if you get too close to the edge, I mean, you know, just a drop off. So he uh, guarantee his foot just started sliding down the, the sandy bank. Uh, the current of the river pushed him outwards and uh, he started panicking. The wife jumped in after him and they both got pushed out. Never go. Yeah. Only two victims, man. 
yeah, it was uh, tragic, you know, obviously. Um, but it, the worst part is, is that, you know, I knew this guy, he was, you know, Brian Schumacher was his name. And, you know, he was uh, messaging me because of the trip to Iceland. He knew that I was, had been there. Matter of fact, he was with Courtney Boyce and, and Derek Oltheus, you know, so two people that I also know really well. And we were we were leaving the lodge when they were arriving and they took over the lodge, basically, where we were staying. And the day before we left there, you know, we finally met in person. So I took the picture and um, of me, Meredith and uh, Mark Crapo and those two, you know, the couple and another friend of mine. And I, I was commenting on it because, you know, the, the day before I was like, hey you know, nice to finally meet you. And she was like, he's like, Oh, we're having the time of our life. Wife caught a big fish today. I'm hoping to catch one today. And later on that afternoon, he died. So it was like how quickly things could go sideways is, is uh, scary out there. You know, I mean, like you can't for one minute think that, you know, and I've heard horror stories since then, you know, like every trip, there's a horror story of some sort, you know, if it's not a boat getting pinned, you know, all of a sudden the boat flipping got, you know, you, you get dumped in the water. So there's so many things that can go wrong. Matter of fact, when I was there uh, in Brazil, somebody got dumped in the water and couldn't get out. The guides had to go in and jump in after him. And luckily it was at a place where it wasn't too sketchy, but let's just say he fell in and hit a rock, you know what I mean? Or uh, fell in where the current was strong, where it swept him down, you know, like he got lucky that he fell in a place where it wasn't too sketchy, but it could have easily been a, a tragic story if it was a rocky spot or a current spot, whirlpool spot, you know? And I've seen, even when we were there, Meredith McCord fell into the water. Um, like the, she, we were on this, like, um, basically it was like a valley and we were on a rock ledge and she was walking on this rock ledge and the rock ledge just broke off and she just fell right into the water and tried to grab the edge. And then that rock fell on her. And I thought she was going to get pushed down by that rock. And, you know, she luckily kind of mushed, the rock out of the way and, and was able to get out. But uh, that was also super scary. Cause then we were in the middle of nowhere, a 45 minute walk and she was maybe possibly going to go hyperthermic, you know? And, you know, we were making jokes to keep things light, but we were like, okay, should we emergency get naked right now? And like warm you up with our bodies. Like and, in the void to the Mimi. Yeah. And, and uh, I mean, we were saying it as a joke, but like almost dead serious, you know? And luckily our guide had a change of clothes and got her out of the wet clothes. And, you know, we put her in the warm clothes and immediately left. But once again, that could have been totally different story if he didn't have the clothes, you know? Yeah. Can I get a, a funny Von Beardley story? A funny Von Beardley story. Well, we just went from tragic to. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, I mean, you know, every moment with him is, is delightful. You know, uh, there's no real story. Uh, he doesn't do things, uh, that crazy, but you know, he's, he's a character. So just being around him in general puts you in a better place. You know, he's just got good vibes, man. I love, I love, I love Crapo, man. He's a super uh, talented photographer. 
He is. He's, you know, he's one of a kind and a kind person. Every time I've been with him is is awesome. So yeah, I consider him as a, as a true friend. What's something you found on one of your trips that would be unexpected out, out in the, the boonies somewhere you ever come across something you're like, wasn't expecting that. <laughs> or wreckage of a plane, a parachute hanging in the canopy. No, you know, it's not quite, but you know, when I was fishing the Soho in Tennessee, I was shocked at like, there's a lot of racial stuff on the river that you see if it's not rebel flags or even like these like kind of racist statues that you see on the side of the river. And you're like, what the hell is going on? Jockeys? Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. And uh, that kind of blew me away a little bit, you know, especially myself being a minority, uh, you know, in the middle of the boonies. Uh, you know, I never felt not safe, but, you know, it's just shocking when you see that in the open on a river that's a public water. You know, <laughs> Even if it was private water, to be perfectly honest with you, it's shocking to see. But uh, especially when it's on a public water. Uh, if you could be stuck in your own personal groundhog day in one of your exotic locations, like every day you wake up based on just like food, atmosphere, fishing, where could you be stuck for? A long time. Oh, man. I mean, that's that's tough, man. And you know, uh, the funny thing is, like, at the beginning when you start doing this whole going to these adventures, you immediately start to think, "How can I get back here, or stay here, or could I?" guide here <laughs> you know and i've thought all those things about a lot of these places and i'm not even kidding you man you know i'm like could i could i like work here for a year or guide here for a year you know uh, each place has its own unique thing so it's hard to really say i mean i've had epic times at, at uh, all my spots and i could almost pinpoint each time i'm talking about but um Day in and day out, I'd have to say tropics, man. You know, maybe Belize. I think Tarpon Key, where where I go to Tarpon Key on a daily basis. I mean, you got great weather to pretty much all year round where you could catch fish. You're sight casting to fish. I mean, I you could catch fish right off the dock of the island that you're staying on. You don't even have to go anywhere. You know, uh, you can go snorkeling or scuba diving. And I'd have to say I could stay there. All right. Fishing's amazing. Obviously that's, that's the critical part too. I've even thought about that. Like, can I transport my family there? And I'm like, can I raise my kids in Belize? And then a lot like, of lives in, in Belize. What am I thinking? Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't raise my kids in Belize, you know, but I've thought about it. You he know, did it. Our buddy, he went Yeah. He I'm sorry. down there years ago. Who's that? My buddy Haywood Curry. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, Hey, like I said, I've thought about it, man. You know? Yeah. If you had one box of flies that were universal that you could take to all your trips, what would be in it? I mean, we're including salt trips. Yeah, sure. I mean, look, you know, I remember at the beginning, you know, I, I did this with five flies, you know, and then you get into this, you need every fly that's ever made, you know, and you have 300 plus flies with this crazy box with, you know, and I remember, and I still have a box with 600 flies that I take to every 
destination, you know, but you quickly start to realize, and I, I started to degress a little bit, you know, instead of make it worse. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to use the the classics and I can get it easily get away with using five flies for probably entire life, you know, and that El Caracatus uh, and Adams, you know, and you're talking about a uh, Prince nymph and a uh, hare's ear, you, you know, and of course I'll use the hopper, you know, but pretty much everywhere I could get away with using just those. I mean, maybe modifying the atoms a little bit to like, obviously make it more cream color or, or yellow color or green color, depending on the type of mayfly I'm imitating or size wise. But, you know, like I, I stopped, I stopped trying to do the million fly thing. Even so, you know, I still carry them with me. <laughs> But uh, I'm starting to try to get better at that. How's that? So it's it's hard to say. I mean, you know, obviously I can't take those on a salt trip, but you know, you can fish a clouser pretty much anywhere and catch anything on a clouser. You know, so I think people put a lot of uh, too much into the fly. It's not about the fly, man. The, the fish is gonna crush whatever you're presenting it to them if you present it correctly. And if it's not a streamer, you know, they're not sitting there strip swimming with the damn streamer. They're hitting it immediately, you know? So I don't know. I just don't put so much effort into the color and the type anymore where I used to. Do you have a favorite fly fishing charity? Any support? I mean, that's hard to say, man. I mean, there's a lot of cool ones in there, you know, and there's a, I like these underground ones more like streets to streams and, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, that's trying to get like the, a lot more urban kids, you know, involved or stuff like that. And obviously I do like the, you know, wounded warriors and that kind of stuff is great because, you know, they're, they're helping people, you know, those kind of things. I, fly fishing, I think, it does have a great community and it can help a lot of people in so many ways. Um, and it gives them a sense of a community uh, as to be a part of it, you know, and there's good parts and bad parts in that, you know, there's, you're going to get the a-holes in any group, unfortunately. But uh, I think overall in general, the fly fish community is pretty great. And, you know, I've definitely been a part of TU stuff and, you know, cleanups and, and uh, I've done trout stockings before, you know, and th th those I've done trout in the classroom before and delivered eggs even, you know, so every little bit I think helps, you know, and, and like, for instance, trout in the classroom. I think if I had that when I was a kid would have maybe I would have thought about trout fishing a whole lot differently, you know, and I didn't have those kind of things when I was growing up. So. I would have stared at the tank all day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, Biology class, AP and, and, uh, and GT bio in high school. I had an aquarium next to me and we used to put Daphne and other things in there and then gamble on like, who's got eaten first. Ah, you'd be watching the aquarium all day. Yeah. There you I go. He's in there. And grow hey, but you know, that's how the imagination starts going though. You know, uh, if, if you have those kind of things, uh, to maybe trigger some, some dreams, man, you know, I, I never even thought about, you, you know, growing up, 
uh, especially in the era that I grew up, you know, without social media and all that stuff in your face. And, you know, it, you had to like, it was the wild west, you know, you kind of learned it on your own. You know, if you wanted to learn about something, you had to go to the freaking library, you know, and look it up uh, on some microfiche kind of thing, or, <laughs> you know, so it wasn't easy. So, um, you know, like I didn't even know that you needed a, a fishing license until I started fly fishing, you know, like we didn't do fishing licenses when we were young, you know, <laughs> I didn't know anything about that. So, I mean, it's good that there, I think social media, as much as it is bad, you know, there is good in it too, you know, as long as you're teaching the right things, you know, like for instance, when I first started holding bass or whatever, you know, you just see people holding it in the air, you know, and you just imitate that. And same goes with the trout. If it's not putting the trout on a rocky uh, background and then people will start bitching at you and they're like, Oh, you're not supposed to put it on a rocky background, but you know, that there's a right way to say that and a wrong way to say that, you know? And I think, um, nowadays, you know, as many people will instantly say something to you, if you're putting the trout on a grass or, or the rocks, they're like, Hey man, you shouldn't be doing that. You know? And I think that's great as long as you're doing it right. You know, but, uh, like I said, we didn't have those kind of things. We kind of had to do figure it out on our own a little bit. <laughs> unfortunately probably the worst way <laughs> what are you hoping santa brings you this year oh santa oh, man you know just good health man for my me and my family there's nothing that i could ask for uh the funny thing is, is my wife thinks i'm evil because my six-year-old well i never taught him that santa was real my wife thinks i robbed him of his childhood for some reason but i, I didn't like lying to my kids in front of this podcast do what i might have to put a spoiler alert now yeah well you know it, i i remember specifically when i was a kid lying about santa like pretending that i thought he was real and writing stuff on, uh, you know, like I was asking it for Santa, knowing that my parents were seeing this, you know, and that deception at a young age is something that I shouldn't have been thinking about. And so I'm like teaching your kid that this most magical being is really a lie that you are a part of is, I think, a wrong image to be sending out, in my opinion. You know, it's, it's a it's a magical character that hands out presents, you know, and I just don't want to be a part of that that fake story. <laughs> I know I'm evil, but That's right. Right. I mean, there's no Santa in our house. So is that right? All right. Well, yeah. Man, yeah. Like the menorah. It's a lot. I mean, you know, so. Oh, yeah. There you go. Uh, so, um, yeah, my daughter, I'm not pushing it as much, you know, but my son, he he knew from day one that there's no Santa. I was like, that's us. <laughs> he was like, what? Yeah. So, Where can we find all of your stuff online, the videos, travel companies? I have everything at wishforfish.com, like wish with the number four fish. So, uh, but I, I pretty much luckily have everything from Instagram. The only thing that I couldn't get wish for fish was Twitter. And, uh, but everything else is just wish for fish, you know, uh, from Instagram to Facebook to, um, YouTube. And primarily you can find me on Instagram and YouTube pretty much, uh, at least with what's coming up next. Uh, for instance, January, I have the fly fishing here. Are you going to be at the fly fishing show speaking of? I'm not having a booth. No? Okay. But are you going? 
We'll see. I don't know what my schedule is going to be like yet. Okay. Yeah. It's kind of a weird thing. You know, we missed out on the shows last year. Everything's getting um, canceled now. My brother just I, got, I know. Goosemiss I know. Just got canceled. He was going what? up Goosemiss. Oh, yeah. A jam band called Goose that apparently I'm supposed to be into. Uh huh. And I was yeah. at my brother's house and he was like refreshing tickets for Goosemiss like every five seconds. And he's like, we got tickets. And his whole family was going to go to Connecticut. And they just canceled it yesterday. Yeah, see, I'm up in the air of what's going down right that. I just got my booster shot even, so, you know. You. No, actually, so um, I didn't get any side effects at all from the second shot or the third shot. So um, yeah, I was out. I got my booster really? number. Yeah, I had zero side effects. Obviously, sore arm, but that was about it. I wasn't even groggy or anything like that, luckily. But, uh, yeah, man, you know. Uh, I'm wondering if it's going to happen. It's kind of uh, questionable at this point. <laughs> well, so if you, uh, you might, you might go, is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. I'd go down and see everybody do some shopping. Yeah. I mean, you're somewhat close. Yeah. It's, it's 80 minutes. Yeah. Closer than I am at least. Go to Wawa and Fredericksburg on the way there and back. <laughs> that's, that's the, the big thing. That's hilarious. Yeah. Carl's will be closed. That's the problem. Yeah, I'm going to have to teach you to fish Fredericksburg, man. You can wade out and fish in just sandy flats for stripers and shad. And then you go up 100 feet. When is the shad run, by the way? Mid-April. Mid-April. The herring will be here in like four weeks, five weeks, probably. They'll come up. Herring? Yeah. We'll see them mid-January. And there's like a herring run? Dude, I mean, you'll see one school that'll go by you and won't stop all day. What? Yeah, people How big are these herring? Like nine to ten inches. They'll eat a fly. They get foul hooked so often, though. And, they smell but you, and you're so you're you're eating them. I'm assuming. Uh, right? to, well, in the Potomac, you have to throw them all back because of the water so crap. No, they're on a moratorium, so all the like oh. herring. You can't because they're them. they're migrating. Yeah, and there there's so many of them now. Maybe in a couple of years they'll let you take them because everyone used to use them for striper bait. You would just huh. see kids using, like, I mean, you can catch them with your bare hands. There's that many. Huh. It's crazy. Yeah. You feel so you go good. striping in the, you go striping in the Potomac? Dude, we get, like, 50 stripers are, like, this big in the Potomac. 50 uh-huh. inches at Fletcher's. What are you doing? Off the bank? Yeah, bank or shore. And then you can rent rowboats. If you got your own boat, you can put it in at Fletcher's and row out and drop anchor. Uh-huh. There's some, uh-huh. some dudes that, uh... Josh Cohen, I think they caught a, it was like a three foot long sturgeon this year during the Whoa. shed run. Whoa. You don't know what you're going to get. It's the craziest fishing. I'm selling so many gift cards right now. And everyone's like, when do we go out? And I'm like, last two weeks of April, first two weeks of May. Huh. Yeah, I'll check it out, maybe. And the snakeheads um, are just mixed in. Yeah, see, I'm, I'm interested in doing some of that. Like, like some... I've seen these kids that are doing like boggy, you know, uh, kayaks and sight casting to them in that like these like kind of boggy looking spots. That's after they spawn when they move out into the like marshy areas. This is when they're migrating upriver and they're just cruising along the shallows. And we used to just go up and scoop them out with nets. Huh. Three foot long fish. We've got YouTube videos. We just walk up with a net and just that's how those guys snag them. And they just kind of chill. Speaking of, you had a you had a video of good stuff, man. Good stuff. 
Yeah. Any, anything else before uh, we let you go for the day? No, man. I, you know, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity, you know, for sure. I mean, uh, I don't do many podcasts because uh, by choice, you know, uh, I don't know. First of all, I feel that a lot of it is, I don't know, for the wrong reasons, you know, kind of thing. And uh, you have a really authentic podcast, I think, that that uh, is about the sport rather than than anything else or you know what i mean so appreciate it thank you yeah man i'm glad we could tell your story and we'll do some live recording it's awesome fun. man yeah dude i mean you're super close i mean that's what I, I wanted to do like a fishing thing you know so then we could like get up and fish yeah we'll get 2022 dialed in we misty and i are going to do some floats with the drift boat so we'll give you a call we do some shenandoah sections uh-huh there you go yeah, I'm going to see Misty. So Shenandoah is how far from you? It's 55 miles due west, and I okay. just don't take advantage of it. Yeah, I haven't been out there either. That's what I mean. Like, what? Where do you fish out there? You just you either wade in at a boat ramp, or you have to drift boat ramp to boat ramp. It's no, I mean, what? What is um? Small what's the river? Shenandoah River. It's oh, just, it's just Shenandoah. Okay. Yeah, so you have two branches, the North and South Fork, and then they meet at um, Front Royal, and then becomes the Shenandoah River, and then that dumps in at Harper's Ferry. Where it meets what? What is so? What can you find in there? Smallmouth and what? Musky, like musk. Pot. Yeah. Largemouth, oh. bluegill. It's just slow water. Just slow. No, no, no trout then. No, unless they get in there by accident. Yeah, it's warm water. Okay. Huh. Interesting. Uh huh. Yeah, I need to. I mean, I'm definitely gonna do the camping thing out in Shenandoah this spring and stuff. Because, like I said, I just got here and uh, still it was still a little crazy, a little bit. You know what I mean? But uh, yeah, I think things are a little bit better this coming up year. That we'll probably end up doing some more camping and outdoor stuff. Very cool. Yeah, man. All right, dude. I'll let you get on with your day, man. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Talk soon. All right. Later. Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite.com. This podcast is brought to you by Freestone Productions at freestoneproductions.com.